3: In that case, I pronounce
0: you lucky.
1: Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: Hello, hello, and welcome to the latest episode of the Brighton Rock podcast, the podcast about the beautiful club within the beautiful game. And with me uh, once again is Andy Bass joining back with us. Hello, Andy.
3: Hello, Russ. Good to be back.
2: Excellent. There is no Peter, my co-host today. He's out drinking after work. Outrageous behaviour. <laughs> but we do have a special guest, that is to say, a man making his debut on the podcast. Many people who are podcast listeners uh, for other Albion pods will know who this is already. Um, is a familiar face as a sponsor for the Albion Raw. It is Mr. Phil Shelley from OldFootballShirts.com. Hello, Phil.
0: Hello, Russ. How are you? Good to meet you.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've met before, haven't we? But
0: wording, uh... yes.
2: Yes, indeed. And I believe drunkenly in the Wheat Sheaf in uh, London Bridge on one or two occasions. I'm post-charting yeah. away, I think. Yes. <laughs> something, like yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> something like that. Yeah, I remember, you weren't there. Something like that, yeah. Well, welcome to the show. Your first time on here. So we'll, we'll start with you. We've mentioned com. We'll get on to that in a moment. But um, tell us about you as an Albion fan. What, what's your backstory? Well...
0: I lived uh, overseas for most of my formative years till I was about 10 years old when I came to boarding school in Sussex. Mm. Um, And at that time, I I, I have to admit it, I had nailed my colours to the the non-coloured master of Leeds United Football Club because Mm. living overseas at the time when they they were the big clubs, my parents bought me a white football shirt to wear at school, playing football at school, so I was a Leeds fan. Um, When I came to school in Sussex, a certain Eric Steele came to do an assembly talk at my school. And uh, I genuinely had to ask the question, who's he? He plays for Brighton. What's Brighton? (laughs) I was told Brighton's a local football team and they're going to get promoted to the first division. I thought, in that case, I'll be a Brighton fan. So since about 1977, possibly early 78, I've been a Brighton fan.
2: Fantastic.
0: And uh, yeah, I did everything. I did all the Warriors. I went to my first game against Norwich. We lost three-one in 1979 or so thereabouts. Um, you know, did uh, did um, did a lot of the my remaining time at boarding school went as often as I could. Um, met my my now wife uh, in '86. Uh, Turns out she was also a Brighton fan. So now I can't get rid of her. I have to take her everywhere. <laughs> um, so we've been going following Brighton ever since We did all the war years We lay down in the road We invaded the pitch We left the ground We broke into the ground We wrote letters And then of course came along with Dean And uh, once we moved to with Dean All of a sudden our social um, uh, aspect opened up at football met the likes of Miss Andy Bass Who's uh, at the other end of the line there Met a whole bunch of people. I got involved with that massive flag we had, the the REMF flag. I got involved with helping out with that. um, And, yeah, made a lot of very, very good friends as Albion supporters, really, from '99 onwards.
2: Brilliant. That's a great story. So you've been a fan for roughly the same amount of time as me, though, I think. Yeah. I'm 79, 80 vintage. Um, and, yeah, you've been, you have been. say you've been through the... You, you paid your dues, so to speak, as an Albion fan. You know, Absolutely. people who are young, but don't blame them for not having to do that. But for anyone of a certain age, it's good to know you've, um, you know, you've yeah. been there, you felt the pain.
0: Yeah, <laughs> felt the pain. Uh, wasn't sure what I was getting into when I'd been off Leeds United. But, you know, I don't regret it for one minute. I didn't even know where Leeds was. Literally, I did that. Um, so at least I knew that Brighton was near to where I was at school. So, yeah.
2: where, where was your family from originally? Because you said you were overseas, but where were they from?
0: Well, was in the military, so actually from Surrey oh, okay. uh, in the Royal Air Force. So we lived in Holland, Germany, France, Cyprus. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, that was where I grew up in those countries. So, you know, the only football I got was from Shoot Magazine and uh, reading the back page of the newspaper on a Sunday, always a Monday, always okay. a day late.
2: Oh, yes, of course. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's a classic. Brilliant. Um, pretty good going. Um, Favourite memories and um, kind of favourite players through the ages, either whether the ones you consider the best or the ones you just like the most? Well, John Byrne
0: was, I've always said John Byrne's my favourite Brighton player. Um, I just enjoyed watching him play for Brighton. I guess at a time when we desperately needed some flair and perhaps just a just he ticked the boxes for that. And I, I have to say I did enjoy his Barnet as well. So, you know. <laughs> uh so yeah, J J B was a, was a firm favourite. Um, great memories, um Dean Wilkins free kick to get us in the playoffs. Um the Millennium Stadium, what a day. Just just so fantastic to see after everything we've been through to to have got there. Um sadly, promotion to the Premier League wasn't the greatest day for me because my dad had a stroke the same day. So it kind of took uh, the big sting out of the celebration of that. But mm. I've enjoyed thoroughly beating United, beating City, beating Arsenal, beating Spurs. <laughs> I've loved doing all that in the Premier That's League. That's quite yeah. good when you, when you just say it all out in a row, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> it, it's been great because I can remember us playing Liverpool and Chelsea and City and Arsenal in in sort of 79, 88, in that that time. And it didn't seem quite as special then as it does now. And I think because of, you know, sitting at um, Priestfield with 1,300 or 1,400 other Brighton supporters watching us lose yet again to somebody like Chesterfield or Peterborough, you know, that, seeing Brighton go and beat Arsenal, beat Spurs, you know twice three times, yeah it's just it 's just been great, so I suppose the memories sort of you know things like the Southampton game on the day of nine eleven I mean that was a summit you 're never going to forget. I, I just saw that was the bizarrest thing ever being in the stadium that day
2: yeah, oh, for me too, actually, that was weird that one because I was already up in London by those days, and i picked it was back before congestion charge, believe it or not, um, because I picked the missus up from her work in central London. Um, At two o'clock, which is nine o'clock in the morning, US time or New York time, and um, yeah, it was just breaking on the news. I had the radio on, and we spent the two hours driving down to the game with team, listening to the radio, which was quite old school in one sense. It was also terrifying because lots of information was getting kind of fragmented and distorted, and it sounded like there was one more plane in the air than there was in terms of the terrorists. Um, all sorts of stuff it was almost like a little bit like the war of the worlds thing but it was real it was mad it was really surreal experience and then as you said the game as well
0: and it remains a memory because it was just the weirdest game the atmosphere was like nothing you've ever seen you know um and of course what came after it with the Robert Eaton Memorial Funder whilst I'm Exactly involved in it. I play an active role in helping out where I can and, and, and I've done a number of things to to help them raise money. And as I said, got involved with transporting that gigantic flag about the place and, <laughs> um, you know, hoiking it up over the, the South Standard with Dean and stuff like that. Um, yes, it's, it's, there's, there's a lot of memories, you know, you know, drawing three all with Liverpool at the Goldstone Ground in the pouring rain. Yeah, Bands United, again, things you, you're never going to forget, so many memories. Um the the best ones, yeah. I, I, I'm gonna say the first game against Doncaster was, was was immense. Um I think uh beating Manchester United, you know, twice in twice in the matter of three or four games or whatever it was when we did them start and beginning. Yeah. It, it's just great fun, you know, and, and also I think just also being part of the fraternity really that from the terrible days when I didn't know anybody at, at Goldstone. I uh, didn't know anybody at Priestwood. New faces, you know, nod and wave, hi, how you doing? But then with Dean, you know, getting to know lots of people, and of course all the the work we did as fans to to get us to 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 the stadium being built and, and moving in there. So, yeah.
2: yeah, I think Andy, no doubt, you could agree with that as well. The with Dean, definitely, there was something about that which um, did seem cosier, didn't it? It did seem to make more of a genuine sort of localized community feel. And localized in terms of the fan base within within itself. Um people seem to m- to meet more people, know each other more in more uh numbers than they I think it, it was the case for me as well. I lost touch with my old Goldstone uh, guys, you know, from way back beforehand. And um yeah, it was forging new friendships, I think, in those days. Would you yeah. go along with that?
3: Oh absolutely, because that was that was really when I started going to watch watch the Albion, my first sort of my first Season there was the was the second season at, at the goal at the uh, with Dean. I didn't didn't go in the first the first year. I couldn't really get tickets. It sold out. Um And then I started. I started just going to like the odd game and then started buying tickets. And then I got a half season ticket. Um Yeah, like you know, because I was you know I was a, a DFL. I was down from London and um didn't know anybody. Then got to meet. Meet people at, at football, met them in the, yeah, and it's meet people in the sportsmen, and you just get introduced from one person to another, and suddenly like this, your circle grows. And got back into going to football every at least at least every other week, um, if not every week. And then, um, and then with like the Robert E. Memorial flag, got involved with more people to help fill out. That's where I met Phil and Lou, as we. As we were all in there, and we we all seemed to like Motorhead, so it was like another thing to talk about other than the football. So um, it was it was brilliant. With Dean was with Dean was great. With Dean was brilliant, and um, and I think everybody who was there will really yeah will really look back with fondness. And what a different world! What a different world it was. Um, you think that you know we get thirty thousand now, thirty one, thirty two thousand basically for the most of our tenure at with Dean we were, it would be like five to six thousand and then like we would get like seven eight towards the end but what a bunch of people It's still the same people that I see and because of the way they sold the, the season tickets at, with, at, 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 the, at the Amex like the you know doing it in order of like you know how long you've had your season ticket and all this sort of stuff it's just like it's still the same people that are, sit around us yeah, certainly. Sit around me at the West End Upper is like it's all, you know, it's all, uh, it's all the old, it's all the old with Dean not there. Um, and yeah, absolutely, it was happy days. And um, and the football for the most part was, you know, we were successful. You know, we, you know, we, you know, we won titles. We won playoff finals. We had a couple of relegations chucked in, but for the most part, it was fighting at the top of the table. Or trying to or trying to get promoted or only being involved in a playoff fight. So there was always excitement. Um there, I just think, you know, the, the players that were there when you think of the likes of you know, obviously Zamora's the big one, but you you gotta you to look back at people like Gary Hart, Kerry Mayo, Richard Carpenter, you know, Danny Cullip, Paul Watson, Paul Brooker, you know, Michelle Kuiper's, just you know, Adam Virgo, whatever happened to him. Um, you know yeah and then you know you're your Jake Robinsons and Alex Ravel's and yeah now we're in the Premier League we're a world away from from, from these players but they're always players that are going to have a, a place in your heart as an Albion fan if, if you were part of that with De Niro it's bizarre now so I know we are sort of rambling on about the old the old days again but the sort of new old days uh <laughs> Um, but yeah, there'll be people in their twenties at, at, at the Amex that will not have been at not have been at with Dean or won't really remember it. So you I mean they they have a different experience than the Albion to us, which I think is quite interesting. And uh, you know they're very fortunate to be watching us at this level. But I think we were fortunate to be watching what was a golden age for the Albion because we had no money, and yet we still managed to get on-field success whilst there was so, whilst it was 11 years of struggle off the pitch. It was mm. unrelenting. It never stopped. You were campaigning for this, that, and the other every single season. There wasn't a year that there wasn't some form of activism re- required, and pretty much everybody slept, stepped up to the plate and joined in. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why there is such a bond between people that that participated in in that in that in that era of the club and you know and obviously people that that couldn't get into it because it was you know because it invariably would be sold out towards particularly towards the end um who were still supporting the album were still getting involved even though they couldn't Mm. even though they couldn't come to the matches um good time a happy time
2: good times to the away days as well really because the away days
3: are brilliant i mean we were we were reminiscing about some uh, actually, we're bizarrely reminiscing about Jake forster 30-yard screamer at Doncaster just the
2: other day. <laughs> <laughs> w you two were in Belgium? Yeah. I yeah. yeah. <laughs> thought yeah. it might be. Um, yeah, a couple of points you made there. I mean, the, the new old days, um, so to speak, I think is a good way of putting it, because it is still very fresh in the memory, isn't it, with Dean and, and what was going on around that time and all the protests and all the um, applications of flowers and postcards and letters and all the other stuff. That we're involved with um, sending, um, but it is the time is going very quickly. We've been at Amex more than eleven, just over eleven years now, and there is a generation. Well, there's a generation of players who might still be around or just retiring. The Dean Coxes and Jake Robinsons of this world. I mean, uh, Worthing Dean Cox has just um, has just put his hung his boots up, hasn't he? I think, and yeah. um, Jake Robinson's got an injury. He might end up doing the same. It's that generation of players are slowly filtering out. I think once they've all retired. Whether they're at the Albion or not, that that generation of players—that's when we really feel like it probably is the actual old old days. <laughs> at yeah. some point, we'll have to acknowledge that is well, becoming the old. I mean, like
0: some of our older friends who remember so clearly the the first time in in Division One uh, in the mm. late seventies, early eighties, they remember it so clearly, and those players, whereas we were very young then, mm. um, and they still talk about the likes of Rollo and. Brian Horton and Peter Ward, of course, and all those players. And you know, they're only a little bit older than us. And of course, now we're doing the same talking about people with you know, and, and those first few people at, at the Amex and and yeah. how when and yeah, hopefully I'll live to be seventy or eighty, and I'll be telling people in their forties and fifties how great it was when we had people like Mark <laughs> Cuccarello. <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly. yeah, it's the consciousness of not being patronising, and then kind of also being kind of. Not trying to sound too fuddy duddy when you start reminiscing because then yeah. the realization kicks in, doesn't it? Oh, I'm actually getting old. <laughs> that's well, coming, that's coming, yeah. <clears throat> but yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's been a fantastic but very whirlwindy um, time, hasn't it? Really, being an Albion fan, um, you mentioned Worthing um, earlier on, and I think um, where I met you before, and also your, uh, your lovely uh, wife Lou, um, yeah but also follows uh, Worthing as well. Um, you get along to a few of those games, as does Andy as well. Um, have you got along this season? Because we, we cover a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I've been
0: a few times. Went to the first game against Dover. I've been to, been to a few since. Yeah. Um, was going to go to Concord Rangers today, but I knew I had to get back to speak to you guys, you see. So oh. I'm going to watch Stenning uh, play after we're done because I also watched Stenning play in the, in the Sussex combination league. But, yeah, oh. we've done Worthing a few times. Hmm. um they're looking good fourth third in the league
2: yeah unbeaten i uh, better away from home than at home ironically but they're yeah. unbeaten um i went to the game on saturday at hamill Hempstead. um Lord. first visit there 147th ground kicked off um Lord, uh, nice neat little ground actually friendly people they've got uh they're nicknamed the tudors and they had their mascot who is a bloke walking around in a henry the outfit <laughs> Quite yeah. He's also leader of what we might describe as their ultras. Um, so he kind of just goes into the uh, the home end and starts leading all the songs. Okay, fair enough. Um, yeah. bit, surreal, yeah. bit surreal. Nice ground, friendly ground. Um, the,
0: the way that the championship developed with when Sky got so involved and now the way that, the, that Sky, BT and the world is so involved with the Premier League, it just frees up those Saturday three o'clocks, doesn't it? Yeah. And the, and the Tuesday 7.45s as well, you know. Um, so yeah, you can you can make the most of it really, and, and I certainly would never go on. I don't think I would ever go and watch Worthing play instead of Brighton. Hmm. Um, in fact, I wouldn't. I never would. You yeah, know, my season ticket at Brighton costs far too much money to waste <laughs> it. <laughs> but certainly, getting along to watch Worthing play frequently now is great because you can do it. You know.
2: Yeah, they were,
0: getting a season ticket there as well. You know, just to save a couple of quid. For, yeah, um, it probably sp-
2: could do. Sponsoring
0: yeah. a player at Worthing this season because I can't afford to sponsor a player at Brighton anymore. So you know.
2: All right. Okay. Who are you sponsoring?
0: Devan Splat. Oh Devan
2: yeah. yeah.
0: I've not met him. I'm, I'm going to next time I'm down there. I'm getting a photo taken for the program and everything with him. I've I've, I've never seen him even play. So, <laughs> <laughs> but um, it, it helps put a couple of quid in their coffers, doesn't it? Especially now that they're having to. Yeah, they have they up quite well there. So.
2: Yeah, that's it. Yeah. But yeah, so they're doing very well. As you said, you can get to games. This is the beauty of it. A lot of people falling out of love with the the whole kind of corporate and screwed around by T V companies nature of the Premier League. But you can kind of have the best of both worlds if you can tolerate um the former, you can have the latter, which is the non league as well, as as you said, and get to get to games, which is great. Yeah, yeah, they should have won on Saturday. By the way, it's, um, they were dominating the match. Um, virtually their only attack. Hemel got a penalty, which was a penalty, and then uh, and then they, they took all of the second half to claw it back to one all. But there we go. But still, I think they're still third in the table. So, you know, something almost exactly in common with the Albion, who we are still sitting in force. We've been there a couple of weeks now, haven't we, without doing anything?
0: Yeah. <laughs> Fingers crossed.
2: We'll get on to talking about um, the, uh, the Albion again uh, in the current times uh, in a little bit more detail. Just quickly ask you before I forget, Phil, whereabouts do you, uh, are you in the, uh, the grounds on match days? You've got a season ticket. So, are you I'm, are you 1901?
0: I am. I'm on the West Stand Middle, just, just on the edge of the centre circle on the West Stand Middle.
2: Oh, okay, too far away for us to throw our pies and tea at you. I'm afraid you, but at the uh, north end of the you north
0: could out. you could if you were horrible you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes yeah, so, yeah, yeah cracking cracking views of the ground. we decided to treat ourselves when when they announced it right back at the beginning, and uh you know it's uh yeah at, at the moment i'm still still enjoying it, so it's been it's been a little fractious the way they've done it but At the end of the day, there's two and a half, three thousand fans going in there, chucking a nice big chunk into the coffers as well, isn't it? So I think uh, yeah, I I can just about afford it. Don't get me wrong. I'm not rolling in it or anything like that. But I do enjoy it. I do like sitting in there and uh, yeah, uh, we should should continue doing so.
2: Good stuff. Um, Now, you're sitting in what looks like a very large cupboard. Um, people will probably picture the scene when we mentioned uh, your f- the football f- football shirts man. You can guess what the background ground is uh, behind Phil uh, as you 're listening to this podcast. Um, it is of course <laughs> a huge array of football shirts, quite a bit of blue and white stripage i 'm noticing uh, but not uh, not exclusively that loads of Albion stuff, and no doubt loads of other items as well they 're all hung up on hooks usual. Oh, on hangers, sorry. Um, usual kind of setup. so can't make out the details. But um, you've got, how many did you say, 600 there in that room? You that's about
0: 630 shirts in total, although I do have a few out on loan at the moment at a photo shoot, but that's only a handful.
2: <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Brilliant. Tell us about old football shirts then. How long has it been going? How did it come about? And how many have you got now as well? Because I think you're up to about 1,900 or something, aren't you?
0: On the website, 126,000 on the website.
2: Oh, sorry, I meant, I meant, sorry, I'm a, I'm a zero out, sorry, 126,000
0: on the website. So yeah, Um. Well, long, long story short, well, I won't make it too short because it'd be boring. Um, I got my first ever football shirt, was an uh, actual football shirt, it was a Nottingham Forest Um. European Cup winners uh, shirt, the red one. The reason it was red, school I was at, we had to wear red football shirts, so that was my first shirt. Second shirt was a California surf shirt because they were really cheap to buy in the back of Shoot Magazine. <laughs> that was an Admiral shirt. And uh, I suppose I love with you, I'm actually colorblind. And I think the reason why I was fascinated by football shirts is they're really bright, bold colors. It, well, most of them are until they come up with a ludicrous mauve hinted with green bits and I can't see for toffee. But um, I kind of was just like the colors of football shirts. And so I picked up a Holland one when I lived in Holland. Um, and then. Obviously started watching the Albion. My first Albion shirt I bought was the Santec shirt, the 94 Admiral Santec shirt. Um, And then I sort of, you know, picked up a couple. We moved to Priestfield and with Dean and picked up a couple. And then one day I discovered eBay and I bought a black and blue inter-stripe shirt. And I thought, oh, I like this eBay. So I bought another one and another one. And I'm up to around about 300 Brighton shirts now. Um i pretty much got every Brighton shirt that's ever been available and also some that have never been available. Um, And I just started growing the collection really. And then when I had them all, I thought, well, I want to buy the match versions of them, the players versions of them. And then I said to my brother, who was a web designer, can you do me a website so I can put all my football shirts on the website? So he, at the time, lived in Cyprus. So we were sat around his pool drinking wine one evening and he said, I've got a better idea why don't we make a website where anyone can post pictures of their football shirts onto it? I said, we could call it oldfootballshirts.com. So quick as a flash, this was in 2006. That's how old it was. Quick as a flash, he went on because he was a web designer, went on to his source or whatever and purchased the domain name, oldfootballshirts.com. And then he started working on the idea. Um, and so the idea was that I could post all the photos of my football shirts on, but other people could post photos of theirs on. And that's probably when my sort of collection started growing into different countries and different teams. Um, I tend to sort of, whenever I'm abroad, I'll pick up shirts of, of wherever I am abroad. People send me shirts. People say, oh, do you want a so-and-so so, so shirt? Yeah, go on then, what's your address? Well, fine. And, and it sort of started growing. And I went round all the club forums when when I started the website. And I had a little preset thing saying, look, I'm not here to sell anything. Just got this website started if you fancy looking at it and posting some images of your shirts. It'd be great to see it. And people did. And whenever they came to the Wifding Stadium, I had these business cards printed up. We would meet up with the Oppo fans and and hand them out. And this all sort of developed and developed. And and then I started getting the emails. Oh, I've seen that Liverpool shirt on your website. How much is it? I've seen that Arsenal shirt on your website, that Real Madrid shirt. How much is it? What size is it? Hang on a minute, they're not for sale. So we did have to put a little bit of very focused advertising on the site. Um, to deflect all these people wanting to buy the shirts, which is how I'm able to afford to sponsor a play at Worthing Football Club, because we make a few quid from the adverts, you know. Okay. And i sponsored Brighton players from 2007 right through to 2016. So I was Bruno's sponsor for his time with us, uh, Matty Sparrow before then, and a, and a few others. Um, and so the website just kept growing and growing and growing. And I'll be honest with you, my brother's kind of fallen out of love with web design. So it's kind of a little bit static at the moment. So if anyone's listening, who does a bit of web development and wants to talk to me, we've got some ideas to improve it. But it just keeps going. I mean, yesterday I sat down and validated another 35 submissions, and they're from all over the world. You know? um, and, uh, and this morning arrived in the poster, uh, the New York City Limited Edition home shirt. That, that, that they said, well, we'll send you that if you want to put it on your website. And I don't even talk about it. They just send me stuff. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: I mean, great, isn't it? A bit. It, it likes, doesn't it, this sort of thing?
0: It, it does. And, and, and because my social media is a reasonably active, the the um the Twitter is more active than the Facebook Um. And you just—I get messages from people all over the world. Uh, I get people posting images, and then I get people saying, "Like in the background there, that's a Mark Omerod match shirt from ninety-seven, ninety-eight season." Yeah, I yeah. feel like shirt. And I suppose you're interested because I think you like Brighton shirts. So. Yeah, go on. Then. Uh, <laughs> and and they just they just they pick up, and and the the interest is is tremendous in, in the website. And yeah, we're looking at about. 150,000 visitors a month to the website um, so it's not insignificant
2: um, oh, pretty decent. And,
0: uh, yeah. you know regularly get you know get some interesting messages from some people from time to time clubs players ex-players
2: all right yeah
0: it's uh, all yeah. that port veil vale shirt on your website from 1977 I wore that shirt you put me in touch with <laughs> whoever owns it now I want to buy it back and it's some port veil vale you've never heard of you know <laughs>
2: I love it. That's great. It is great how these things escalate. And I, we, I mean, Northern Europeans in general, I think, and no less, um, no least the English um, in particular, are a nation of collectors um, (laughs) on any given subject. Even within football, there's a number of subsections, isn't there? There's, you know, you've got Cebucio, you've got football stickers, you've got old football shirts, you've got um, programs, obviously, and various other bits of memorabilia. I collect pin badges where from grounds I go to, for example, um, people just pick up anything. And it just, when once you split that across other subjects, um, outside of football, you know, you've got collections of all sorts going on. And I see it, a pin badge come into the foreground. Is that a Dolphins branch? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Where's that one from 60s? That'll be uh, mid 60s, something like Dolph-
0: that. No, Dolphins was, um, early 70s, wasn't it?
2: Oh uh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. It wasn't that long, was it? No, was
0: it? only a couple of seasons. I've got a couple of Dolphins branded things, but, uh, no, it wasn't. Uh, uh, we weren't the Dolphins for very long after, is um, it Ron Chalice, the referee
2: at Stamford Bridge? <laughs> yes, yeah. oh. good old Ron, yeah. Um, and
0: Seagulls. So.
2: <laughs> any, anything in particular that really stands out from your either your collection that you've physically got or from what's on the website in terms of really unique, amazing, particularly cool natty designs or anything like that? What, what's, what's your favourites?
0: Well, my, my favourite Brighton shirt is the uh, shirt we wore at the Millennium Stadium. It was my favourite shirt before we wore it to the Millennium Stadium. I loved it then, and it's still, it still stands as my favourite Brighton shirt. Um, I've been fortunate. I've got um, I've got a Steve Gatting match-worn shirt from the British Caledonian era. I've got a Malcolm Poskett shirt from 77. Yeah, so some of the old ones are really special, you know, uh, the red Adidas uh, Phoenix Brewery shirts with the horizontal oh, yeah. stripes. I've got a, a Phoenix Brewery and a an Novo version of, of, of that, both match match versions. As I said, I try to look for match shirts now. Shirts like that, of course, were never made for sale, so they are only match shirts. Um, do you remember the Palookaville shirt? Yeah. Of
2: course- I did have that, and it mysteriously disappeared. And I am blaming my wife; it's gone missing. I was really well, the navy one, wasn't it, with the white. Yeah.
0: Well, one. when uh, when Araya made the prototypes for that shirt to present to Norman Cook, they showed him a navy blue one and a burgundy and yeah. yellow one. Yeah, and he chose the navy blue one. Well, I have the burgundy and yellow one, the only one ever to oh. have been made. Uh, so that's quite nice having things like that. And I've got quite a few sort of uh, little. Odd, odd ones in there. Um, I think having been in the past a, a sponsor for the players, I always had a little bit of an into the club. So you know, most of my shirts in the last fifteen years are all match shirts from various players. Um, I've literally just looked that shirt up on old football shirts, <laughs> the burgundy and yellow one. Yeah. Yeah, it's there. It's there, and it is the only one that has ever existed. Um, so, so for me, favourites, you know, from the Brighton point of view, the old ones uh, are are of course um, great to have because they're so rare. Especially the players' shirts; they're so rare. Um, the old shirts generally are rare because they were made in fewer numbers, and of course, what the Graham used to do with your shirt when you grew out of it and got too much mud on it, tossed it in the bin, you know. So there's fewer of them. Um, the modern shirts are just—you get such a variety with modern shirts now, and 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 it, it's so much proliferation. I buy them from Mexico, I buy them from Australia, I buy them from you know wherever I see one that I fancy and buy it to put in my collection. Um, as far as the website goes, I can tell you what without a shadow of doubt the most popular shirt ever viewed on our website—it's the Arsenal red current shirt. Mm. Regularly is in the top ten, if not the most viewed shirt on the website. It, it just and also the Newcastle United one with the grandad collar. I, don't, I can't remember what season it's from now. Yeah. Um, so those those are two that are always popular on the website. Uh, always uh, on the on the front of our website there is a list of the most viewed shirts in the last uh, twenty four hours and seven days, and those yeah. two are, are regularly in there. I mean, there are some, some you know, there, you know, some people have posted some astonishing shirts on there. Um, some very well-known collectors have posted on the website. So there are, you know, stuff with Pelé on, Ronaldo on. Um, you yeah, know, p- pick a name, really. I mean, if you go through some of the Italian teams, there are some absolutely stunning shirts from the mm. from the, the 80s. Uh, you yeah, know, the Italian sort of, when, they, when Italy in football was just so huge, the 80s yeah. and
2: they have got a bit of style, haven't they, the Italians, when it comes to such things?
0: Well, the stylish shirts and stylish players, of course, because they did go through a, a very purple patch, didn't they?
2: Yeah, uh, they do wear it well, to be fair, don't they, as well. They get away with that, too.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and to, You wanted to ask about the New England shirt, didn't
2: yes. you? Yes. Yeah. I, I mean, asked, I think it looks I awful. Ask,
0: <laughs> well, I ask you this. Forget that you've even seen that one. Imagine, imagine the England 1983 shirt never existed. Right. Yeah. I never. And last month, Nike came out with a shirt that had a big blue stripe and a big red stripe going across the front and said, here's the New England shirt. I think people would have been far more horrified than the one that they've just brought out if they'd done that then. So I think um, I think it's, yeah, people say that these football shirt manufacturers have no imagination. I think there's something there without going too mad. I don't think it's as bad as people are saying. Okay, good, but as I said, if they brought out that Admiral 83 shirt now, People would go mental about it. So, uh, yes. it was,
3: yeah. I mean, that was sort of eighty through eighty three to eighty three, wasn't it? The, yeah. Um, but I, I mean, I like that one. Um, yeah. I mean,
0: eighty to eighty three for that that England show is just brilliant. Um, I'd love to have it. But I think if they brought that out now, people would be absolutely. Yeah.
2: Well, I think I think for me, it's it's underwhelming. Is is why I feel about the new one. I just, I'm not sure it's got much about it. All these things are relative, aren't they? Over time. Uh, things grow on you or they don't over time. I think the Albion's current show, we'll probably talk about that in a minute, but I think that's one that's also, you know, loads of people had a negative reaction to that. There's a the whole thing about the H on it and everything else. But then I think people, especially now it's being seen on the pitch, it looks a bit better on the pitch and on the on the players, obviously. And, and I think it's grown on people a bit. Time is a, well, I don't know if you want to call it a healer, but it's a, a change of opinions over over time, isn't it? Um,
0: I think it is. I like, I, think I like our new home shirt now.
2: Yeah, I do. I actively yeah, I
0: like it, is. and I hated I think, it when it came out. I think the thing that, I mean, the thing is the football shirt has now become, it's ubiquitous, the right word. I'm never sure if I use that word correctly. But it's become, football shirts have become such... Um, Currency or whatever for conversation over the years, and I'm I'm a member of a few football shirt groups on Facebook and Twitter and stuff, and you get some people who just persist and say, "Yeah, it's a great shirt ruined by a sponsor," <laughs> and, then some, and then they will say to every single shirt they ever see, "Hang on a minute, I'm 57 this year, I can barely remember football when there wasn't a sponsor on the shirt," you know. <laughs> Was the British Caledonian logo any good? No, but we love that shirt. I think, and I think, well, some some sponsors are dreadful and the proliferation of betting companies is a more of a worry rather than, a you know, if it wasn't Bet362 but was, you know, Kebabs362, would the sponsor look better? I don't know. But every shirt in this room, a tiny handful of international shirts has got sponsors on it. And you think, well, Get over yourself. It's just a sponsor. Your shirt has to have a sponsor. Thankfully, international shirts don't yet. Um, mm. And so, I think a nice white shirt with a bit of blue trim works fine for England.
2: Yep. Well, your your, your man you're talking about there. The, the only thing he will be happy with, with is the Nottingham Forest shirt because um, I don't know if they've done it now, but they didn't have a sponsor at the beginning of the season, which is it, a the, curiosity.
0: Yes. It looks
2: odd. <laughs> it actually does, doesn't it? It, it looks, looks even
0: weirder when you see them playing with a shirt without. You. you think, what are you wearing there? Your
2: vest or something? <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Yeah, I mean, it might grow on us. I mean, one thing that would help is if we win the World Cup. I think people would mysteriously get a lot more fond of that shirt anyway if yeah. we did win that. I don't think we will, based on recent games. But then, who knows? It's it's a different. It's a different um, phase of the season when we when we come back and play the World Cup. Who knows? Who well, knows?
0: Agrees with me on this, but neither Andy or I will be watching this World Cup anyway, so it won't count whether we win it or not.
2: Yeah, I know. I know. Um, Andy's uh, very vociferous about uh, about it. I'm not in any way keen at all. Um, I probably will end up watching it just because because um, I don't think I'm, I'm individually going to make much difference on two enormous viewing figures on TV. I certainly wouldn't travel, um, if, it, if I was a regular traveller to England Games, which I'm not I've, I've never been to a um, to a tournament match um, before, um, but if I was, I think I would boycott this tournament, even though I'm sure there'll be some elements of it, it'll be fine, but uh, yeah, just on principle the reasons they got it, or well, I think the reasons they got it, um, obviously the various things that have gone on with the development of the stadiums and, and, for, and a number of moral issues besides uh, yeah. Preclude me from being keen on it at all. But you're actually going to not watch any of the games, disown the entire experience.
3: I don't reckon I will yeah, we'll see how long it is before
0: I crack, but that's. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll get to the final, maybe. <laughs> we'll
3: yeah. Against Germany
0: at half time in the semi final, I might put it on.
2: Yeah, the beauty is, of course, and um, there is going to be other football on, or at least we think there is, anyway. From low leagues and non-leagues, yeah. so there'll be plenty of other games to go to. I'm hoping to tick off some grounds during that period, anyway. Um, I'm not going to be blue to the TV. I'm going to, I'm just going to pick and choose, uh, probably through recording stuff, anyway, and and just get along to some more grounds while I can. Try and get up. I'm on eighty-four of the ninety-two. I've just recalculated, um, so I've got eight more grounds to try and tick off in the next year or two. But. We'll see, we'll see. Um, We won't dwell on England too much, other than to say they're looking a bit ropey at the moment. An interesting game last night, as we record this uh, Monday night. Uh, Nothing in the first half, continuing our our long run without scoring. And I think it went on for 566 minutes before we scored. Uh, But we took the trouble to go 2-0 down in the second half to Germany before coming back to lead 3-2, and then threw it away with, I think, a second mistake of the game by one of the defensive players, this case Pope, uh, McGuire looked good, though you know he gave the ball away and then fouled for the penalty, um, uh, justifying his position in the team. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'll, yeah, I'll rant no more about that. <laughs> <laughs> one, one other thing actually, which I forgot to rant about last time, um, to do with the national anthem, not to do with the England game actually, but to do with um post-Queen's death and the anthems at games and the anthems before games, uh, sorry, before the Queen's death as well. Why the hell do we have a professional singer singing? We don't need it at grounds. Um, the crowd on mass singing is much more effective. And secondly, they go up at the end of the song, at the end of the um, anthem, which is awful. You know, that God save the qu- oh, it's awful I can't stand it, it's horrendous. I wish they wouldn't do it. Um, it's a bit like um, music and the build-up to kick-off isn't it really it's just I, I
0: really hate that little Premier League nonsense they have to play after yeah. good old Saturday. and indeed after every club's walkout yeah. um, yeah. uh, what's the point of that? and I, I agree with you on the God Save Our Queen King. Um, you don't, <laughs> you don't. Sing a singer, you don't need one well, that then changes into an Italy kit halfway through,
2: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Indeed. Um, actually, on that subject, Jack, friend of the show, sorry, Jack Phillips, um, said that he, he's he got a bugbear about good old Sussex by the Sea at the end, where we sing, um, Sussex by the Sea as a kind of flat thing, it should be by the sea with an emphasis on by. Yeah. I don't know if that's the traditional, I think it is, isn't it? The traditional, it is, yeah. Yeah. That's, how
0: we, that's how we sing it. Yeah, yeah. We go up yeah. for that. Yeah, we go up for that
2: bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I do as well, but I, I um, I can't say I'm in the majority of the people around me, but never mind. We can try and fight to get it working properly, can't we, guys? <laughs>
0: You, yeah. Now you're going
2: to want musical notes underneath the words on the big screen, are you? <laughs> <laughs> I think we're coping badly enough with the words, aren't we? Uh, for a lot of, I say we, other people, with the grounds. Yeah, yeah, it's all good. Um, anyway, yeah. So that's the one rant. Um, another rant was about um, media's failure to coverage the Albion fan opinions um in the departure of Graham Potter and the run up to our new manager being appointed. They've got a 24-hour sports news channel that is very heavily weighted towards football. And yet the amount of times they don't fill it with more interesting bits and pieces, I think features on lower league clubs and loads of stuff like that. But much more fan opinion could be gauged in a proper way rather than just getting a random odd-looking guy that's walking past the club shop somewhere in, you know, outside Hull City Centre or somewhere. You know, in, in the case of the Albion, I didn't see any representation of Albion fan opinion at all about a the loss of Grand Potter, or b uh, who we wanted or thought was going to come in. Um, I even sort of put out, I had a pop at Sky on Twitter. Didn't get a reply. Not surprised, but um, there was nothing. There was there was there, they seem to have so many podcasters, for example, talking about Tottenham multiply, talking about Liverpool multiply, and Liverpool guys are great on there actually, but. Nonetheless, you know, it's a lot of heavy weight on that. We know why, the big six factors, of course. But well, it's a 24-hour yeah. channel. Surely they can get a little bit more than just the big six on and well, rotating the same news.
0: I know, I know a, a couple of Brighton fan podcasters have managed to get themselves on there. I mean, might I suggest uh, that it's actually, if, if you want that, you run a Brighton podcast, then get onto them. And not not tweet at them or whatever. Get onto them directly. Look, I'm a Brighton podcaster. I've got views that you want to listen to when you're talking about Brighton, rather than talking to some random walking past the club shop. And <laughs> and and um, um, you know those guys we talk about the Liverpool and the Spurs podcasters and those idiots at Arsenal and all that. That's because first of all, I mean they're an incredibly popular podcasts. I'm not saying that yours isn't or no, no, Brighton's not, but they are bigger. But those guys, I'm sure, caught Sky Sports anyway to get Sky Sports to reciprocate it. That, that would be my thought on that.
2: Brand. Yeah, you might you might well be right, yeah. I'm not too worried whether it's me. It's just the the fact that um, no, there wasn't anybody on there. I, I would have thought they would have sought out opinions, but I do take your point that, you know, maybe we should... Uh, Push to get, uh, get our voices heard as well. Um, God knows, I think people have enough of my voice already, but <laughs> the place would be a step too far, I think, if <laughs> it was on Sky Sports. Yeah, but um, yeah, I'd, it's irritating, isn't it? The, the media slant. We, we all know about it, we've all ranted about it a million times anyway. Um, I well, we
0: didn't realise, though, this was a great opportunity for Potter and Chelsea. What's it got to do with Brighton? <laughs> <laughs> That's the way That's Sky like- saw it. <laughs>
2: Yeah. yeah. Well, let's come on to that subject then. So we've got Deserbi in. Uh, we, we've had a podcast since, but Andy, uh, that wasn't the one you were on. You um, you were on when we were in flux at the time. Yeah. So I want to get your opinion and, and feels on the new man, Roberto Deserbi. Um, he's been appointed four year deal, 43 year old, lots of exciting ideas. There's a lot been talked already about the tactics and on this podcast and all the other album ones as well. You know, progressive attacking, passing play, lots of short passes out for the back to try and get uh, moves going, beating the press, etc. Um your views on it. Oh, should we go with Andy first? Um you, I, from speaking to you off air, it sounds like you're pretty excited about this appointment. As I I'm,
3: yeah, I'm I'm really excited by this appointment. Um I think at the I think of the candidates um that were being touted about, I I think he's I think he's the most interesting one. I think again, used to managing clubs of similar size and ambition as 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 the Albion, um, sort of you know, making the most of what he's got, but a bit more attacking than than from the outset from uh if, you know, like his philosophy his philosophy is to like is to score goals I know a lot's been said about how many goals his teams can concede, but I'm not sure he's had defenders as good as ours in in the teams that he's had before so um i think and and the way that he wants to score goals seems to suit us our, our players the players that we already have um, we, um was discussing it with with Philip, ironically this weekend i think People like Trossard and Sonny March are really going to, I think in March in particular, are really going to learn a lot from this manager. I think he's going to get, it's going to open up their eyes a little bit more. I think Trossard's just an ideal deserving player. Hopefully we can keep hold of him uh, long enough to, to, to see that come to fruition for, for a bit longer. But I'm really, I'm really excited. I like, he's got good qualities as a person. I think that's something that's important for the club as well. Um but he's, but he's very positive, and yeah, now if we end up you know scoring 70 and conceding 60, well, that's a plus 10 goal difference. I mean, when was the last time the, Albion, the Albion's ever finished with a plus goal difference in the Premier League?
0: But, you know, I would settle for plus one.
2: Yeah, you'd go along with that, wouldn't you, Phil, as well?
0: I, well, as Andy just said, we were discussing it at the weekend, and yeah, I mean, if we could come out with a, with a positive goal difference, as long as it was the... The way the abacus fell that meant we won a bunch of the games at the same time. Hmm. Um, I think um, I'll be honest. I haven't massively studied Zerbi. Um, I've looked at some of the reels that are have, have floating around. I've listened to him talk through interpreter and also you know his own little uh, little go at speaking. And he, I, th- I think it could be it could be a little bit more uh, gung ho than with Potter, um, but. Andy quite rightly said he's got some cracking players to work with, and let's hope that those cracking players choose to stay Brighton players um, for, for the foreseeable future. I mean, there's an awful lot of horrible, you know, speculation and stuff going around, which you know, to a degree you've got to wait till it happens before yeah. you can accept it. But
2: we ain't going to lose all of our
0: squad, and we have got some really good players in that squad. We really have got some crack- cracking. Um, uh, prospects, we bumped into a Royal Union saint was season ticket holder in Brussels, and he was gutted that Undav had gone,
2: yeah.
0: and, and uh, he said that he's going to be immense for Brighton once he finds finds his his, yeah. his speed, and so deservey has got him to play with, and Mitamar, you know, they're two players that really we haven't seen enough of to see them as what, they're, what, what we've brought them in for. And he is going to have them as a, a blank canvas, if you like, to to to, to tune into his way he wants Brighton to play. I mean, they could be astonishing. You look at Wepu, um some other players on rubbish at pronunciation. Um, <laughs> you know, you think Estupan? is it? Estipan, on you know, yeah. you know, yeah, rubbish at pronunciation. March, I think it is. But I think yeah. once he gets his hands on those players, he's got such good players to work with. You know, frankly, if we're still in the top four at Christmas or the top six or even the top eight at come Christmas, come the January transfer window, it's going to be a big ask to a player to move on, isn't it? Hang on a minute. You know, I'm already flying high here. And so I I really hope that he is gung-ho, but I hope he he can respect um, the fact that we also have a very, very good defensive history in the Premier League. Um, Oh, yeah, I want to see, you know, Duncan Webster keep developing.
2: Yeah, I mean, on the, on the on the press conference, I agree with you about the, the defence. But on the press conference, I think he, he he mentioned a few names, and they were essentially the flair attacking players. He mentioned McAllister, Trossard, for example. Um, and yeah, I mean, obviously, he's about creative attacking football, and you would like to think that those players would in, therefore enjoy working with a coach like that and therefore hopefully would stay for longer, as we were saying we would like to see. Um, certainly there's there's a good hope of it anyway, isn't there? Um, but Andy, yeah, you want you want to come in on this, didn't you, as well?
3: Yeah, I just thought it was quite interesting this week, the Albion revealed their first training ground videos. They've been starting to do these training ground videos over this season, which I think they've actually been quite good fun to watch. Um, and so they had like the, the first, first sort of day on the job at the, the training session. And just looking at the energy, they're not showing you too much because they don't want to give away tactics and stuff, but like the, the feeling you got was it was like fast, 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 buzzy, 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 buzzy. He's sort of yelling out in Italian, and obviously, you'll have his translator barking the instructions out, but uh, you yeah, know, Crofty. You know, sort of there, sort of marshalling things as well, and Adam Lalanne sort of taking a little bit more of a, ro- a role sort of with with the players, and there just seemed to be a really nice buzz about it. He just he seemed to be delighted to be there. He was, you know, he was like sprinting around everywhere. He's, he's encouraging the other coaches, like you know, watching them like a hawk. But it was pace, 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 tempo, tempo, and that seemed to marry up with everything that. That I've, you know, that, w- that we've seen in all, our, you know, all the, the videos talking about Deserbi and and how he likes to approach the game, and already you just see that little bit of, spite there's, lot, you know, lots of smiles, that's you know, it's all for the camera, isn't it? But, but you know, I'm taking a positive from that. I I really enjoyed watching that that video, and I got a positive feeling from it. Obviously, we've got players away on international duty this week. But the ones that were there were re- really, really seem to be into it, and obviously a few of the under twenty-one players would have been in there making up the numbers mm. for the international players. So a great opportunity for them as well to be part of that um, experience. Um, and after like the colossal disappointment and trauma of Potter leaving, now we have a feeling of excitement. And now, I mean, we don't know what we're going to have. and you know, it's. Yeah, what we're gonna get. I just get it, I I'm optimistic that this is gonna be a good move. He he obviously he's watched our games, he knows that you know that we're quite good at the moment, so he doesn't need to come in and say, Right, forget what you've been doing. You know, he's gonna say, No, remember what you're gonna be doing, what we're gonna do is we're gonna to add to it. So I yeah. oh, wouldn't you carry on doing because that that's good, that's working. So but, but if you just sprinkle a little bit of this in, we might even be a bit we might even be a bit better. I think that's gonna be his approach. Initially, and then obviously, what better team to open up against than uh, than Liverpool Anfield? Um, you know, ironically, uh, you know a, a, a match that we've actually competed well in in the last few seasons, and actually, you know, unbeaten in the last two visits. So
0: also a free yeah. hit him as well, isn't it?
3: Well, yeah, it's just a free hit, but I think it's also it's a you know yeah. You know, let's be selfish. We've got that four spot, so it's let's hold on to it for as long as we can. And that's like, keep them below us <laughs> yes. a little bit more. I don't know, just be, you know, if, if you've got it to hang on to. And yeah, I don't think we'll go in there with any fear. Um Liverpool, obviously, disappointing start to season for them. They're going to come good at some point because they just, players are just too good. But, um, but you know what, we're good as well and uh yeah. and i and i'm really opt- i really am yeah you know, i can't I'm not going on Saturday I really wish I was going i just can't i just can't wait to see Deserbi take control of this team and get him out there and sit and see what they're gonna do and see how they <laughs> see how they take to him.
2: Absolutely. I'm missing the game as well. I'm at Staggdon in Newcastle. I was hoping it would be uh, in Newcastle, that that fixture, but never mind. So I'm missing that one. And I'm actually away in Italy, so I'll miss the Spurs game as well. So I'm going to miss his first home game too, which is a bit frustrating. Um, but yeah, I mean, can't wait to see how he does. It's it's really opt- optimism galore now, isn't it? An early healing process by getting in a what looks like a very good replacement for Graham Potter, who could be even better. And and that just the concept of that makes it Pretty yeah. hard to go for, doesn't it, Phil?
0: Fantastic. I mean, that, that would, wouldn't would it just be brilliant if this time next year we say, well, who's Potter?
3: Yeah.
0: You know, and, yeah, there's no reason to say we shouldn't because, let's face it, we said who's Potter when he came to us. Mm. Um, and he proved himself 100%. Um, uh, and I think he's also proved that intelligence and, and the tactician element is is vital now. Uh, especially if you're going to go into a football club that's, um, shall we say, not one of the top ones that almost mm-hmm. governs itself. Yeah. And um, I don't um, care about Chelsea, I really don't. Uh, but I think Deserbi could just suddenly find himself with this outstanding opportunity. And hopefully he'll do it for as long as Potter did it for us. And, yeah, uh, if, if not, well,
2: yeah. We just need Italy to do well enough to keep Mancini, but not so well that he wins it. Because he might want to quit if he wins, you see what I mean, um, on a high. So if they get to the final, lose a final maybe, and, and have a bit un- unfinished business for next time, because we sure as hell don't want him <laughs> going that soon. Um, apparently Juventus fans, quite a few Juventus fans were disappointed that De has gone to us. Um, some of them fancied him as a possible option should they change, which um, there is talk of. At the UEFA because they're not, not doing so well at the moment, and the way the way they're playing as well as uh, the results, so um, that could be I interesting. Won-
0: I wonder if there'll be a turning point where where just because they're called Juventus or Barcelona or Liverpool or Chelsea is no longer a reason for the best people to go there. You know, is is it time for that that sort of top they call themselves the the, the SL lot? You know, is it time for that bubble to burst a little bit? Yeah, you know, you know yeah, we, yeah, we, we sort of pressed it a bit when we took people like Steve Koppel and, and Peter Taylor in the past and when we brought Gus in and, uh, and you know, it may, maybe it's time for, and maybe, unfortunately, maybe that's where Chelsea have realised, actually, we don't want a massive name. We want someone who's actually good at this job <laughs> uh, and they're, they're in a position to afford to do it. But, you know, Perhaps that's where we go. I mean, we we have seen some bigger names managing lower down, shall we say, the the, the ranks, and uh, you know, maybe it's a maybe it's somewhat for the future.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I wanted to get on to talking. I, I don't think we can have on this um segment now, but talking about the uh, the away tickets, there's been a bit of a fuss about that. I'm going to come on to that subject. Um, later on possibly later on in this podcast and um, we'll probably break for part the end of part one here though i don't know if you guys have got a shoot off or not just uh, before we uh, have our guest in part two i think nods is it nods or are you able to have yeah him? i've got a yeah i've got a
3: shoot off mate yeah
2: so. okay so so if on that case in that case i'll say thank you again to andy for joining us always a pleasure sir yeah, um thank you pleasure. Well, yeah thank you to phil as well for joining us for his first occasion with the Brighton rock podcast um, just quickly, it's oldfootballshirts.com, isn't it? If people want to look up your website. Um, what about um, online as well? You mentioned Twitter and, and elsewhere. Um, if people want to hook up on there?
0: Uh, Twitter, my, the, the Old Football Shirts Twitter is at Old Shirts. Yep. Uh, if you want to have a look at my Brighton Matchworn collection, it's at BHAFC underscore Matchworn.
2: Excellent. Superb. So check it out, everybody, and get mm-hmm. looking on that website as well. Lots of fun and, uh, well, excellent sh- uh, shirts to have a look at on there. It's great stuff. I love it. It's great. Brilliant. Thanks, Thanks again then to Andy and Phil. Um, we'll get you back on, I'm sure, in the future. And um, yeah. um, are you going to the Liverpool game, by the way, Phil? No, I'm
0: going to go off to the States on Saturday morning for a week, so I'm going to miss Liverpool and Spurs.
2: So. Oh, so you're missing the same as me.
0: Well, i miss
2: Spurs. Andy, you're first up then. Yes. <laughs> oh, well, there go. Uh, Excellent. Well, thanks, guys, for joining us. And um, that brings an end to the first part. In part two, we'll be talking to Neil Atkinson from the Anfield Wrap. And so to part two, where I'm now glad to warmly welcome back to the podcast, Mr. Neil Atkinson from the Anfield Wrap. Hello, Neil.
1: Hello there. How are we
2: doing, Russ? Very well, thanks. How are you doing?
1: Excellent stuff. Uh, been a bit of a funny start to the season for us, but we haven't played a league game for what feels like four or five years. Uh, so I don't know <laughs> quite what really you expect. I mean, and you've got a new manager, so I don't know what to expect from you. But the footballers might have grown, they might be different, they might all, you know, they might have two heads, but all we you know, we've just not seen them.
2: It really has been up in the air, hasn't it? All over the place. Uh, <laughs> I mean, we, we've been talking obviously on other podcasts about um, the, uh, the Deserby appointment. We're pretty, pretty gutted with Grand Potter leaving. We're, we're right on the crest of a wave. Obviously, you can imagine the time it was a nightmare for us. Um, however, we are pretty excited about Deserbi. I think once people have become accustomed to, you know what he was all about and what he was going to represent and what what he was going to bring. I think everyone was all on board with us getting him in, and we have got him in. And um, the, the bonus being that there's no uh, compensation to pay for anyone because he wasn't in work. So uh, 22.5 million profit there. Happy with that. <laughs> <laughs> um, in terms of um, perceptions, outside looking in, what have you made of the appointment? Any? I know it's difficult, but you won't have seen much of his games with the teams he's been uh, managing, really.
1: I think the first thing the appointment is is it's really really interesting, and I think it's an example genuinely of what I think the wider sort of football world thinks about Brighton, which is they've got their own way of doing things. And I always think that that's you know from a football club's point of view. I've just finished reading uh, Pep, well, rereading Pep Linders' book that he brought out over the summer, and he's very into the idea that Liverpool have got their own way of doing things, and I think that Brighton the most out of those clubs who are sort of now established as ranked, let's say, between eighty eighth and 15th in the Premier League. I think Brighton have, have, have most concretely got their own way of doing things. I don't think we can quite put Brentford in the category of eight to 15th, yet they need to do it for a couple of seasons. And so within all of that, I'm fascinated to see how it sort of plays out. I think there's, he appears to be a, a really strong manager around player development. And I think that that's something which, you know, is is. One of the things that I think was interesting about Brighton under Potter was I think that there was a lot of onus placed on Potter. Rightly so, I hasten to add. But it was almost as though the idea of the player development that he actually did do went a bit under the radar because people were so desperate to praise his tactical nous and the, the tweaks he'd make and the flexibility he'd show. But what he also did was he improved players. I think with deserve the one thing you can say from his career all the way through is that he's been a developer of footballers so I'm expecting, obviously, not for him to be tactically naive or anything, I think he'd be very, very switched on. But I think that it might actually put a bit more of the focus back on some of these excellent Brighton players now that Potter's moved on, at least for the short term. And if De zerbis a roaring success, then rightly, you know, he'll get the credit for that. But I think that there's more to Brighton than just Graham Potter. You know, these were players who were able to respond to Potter's methods. You know, Adam Webster's a really good example. Veltman's a really good example. Of footballers who were able to show an unbelievable amount of tactical sophistication and intelligence. So you know it's 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 important, obviously, to remember the coaching staff and remember what managers do, but it still has to be implemented by footballers. And if those footballers aren't capable of dealing with complicated ideas, then they'll they'll sink. Whereas the thing about Graham Potter's Brighton is the players swam. And obviously that a massive part of that's Potter, but also it's those players themselves and they deserve that credit. So I think a little bit of the focus will come back on them now. And that could be no bad thing for 12 months for Brighton, at least.
2: Yeah, I think that's a really good point, actually, Neil. The um, the player adaptability in match um, was something that I think went a bit under the radar. But of course, that must have been happening for us to adapt the tactics so well in game. Whether uh, you know, just I think it's uh, one responding to whatever Graham's giving out his instructions, but also recognizing things and recognizing the need to change, little nuances within a Yeah,
1: yeah I think, you know, a really good example of that is The footballer that was billed as Alexis McAllister and the footballer that you've seen, I mean, you've seen a lot more than me, but the footballer that you've seen as Alexis McAllister this season are massively different things. McAllister's effectively, from what I've seen, dropped 20 yards down the pitch. You know, this idea of him being a a clever number 10. He's suddenly now one of the brightest playmaking number sixes in the country. Now, obviously that's brilliant work from Potter and his team, but McAllister's got to be able to respond and he's got to be able to pick up those ideas and he's got to be able to do the business. And that's what, when I've caught Brighton, this season, for me, he's been the outstanding footballer on the pitch almost every time I've seen Brighton. You know, and part of that is, I think, not just that he responds to the tactical ideas, but actually in game, the way in which he passes the ball. There's the old Wenger line about passing with information on it, and every single one of McAllister's balls pretty much says to the player what he wants him to do, sets him up what he wants him to do. And, you know, for me, I think. Thinking about the game at the weekend, from from what we what I've sourced so far out of Brighton this season, presuming Deserby doesn't change too much too soon, you know, Liverpool's Liverpool have got to have a way of ensuring that they don't let McAllister run the show because he's been more than capable of that every single time I've caught Brighton this season, whoever the opposition have been.
2: Yeah. Absolutely. That's interesting thing about him being as a number six, playing deeper this, this season, McAllister, is a good point. Um, he's been playing as part of the double pivot, which Deserby apparently has adopted himself in previous incarnations for previous teams. So he may. He, that's one of the examples where he probably won't change something straight away. I agree with you. I think McAllister's been the standout. We looked at the our particular on Brian Rock's sort of men of the match um, so far this season. And he's edged it. He's the only one I think that's had two because we've had really good performances from various players, but he's been consistently good. And he's been the outstanding player on more than one occasion, which is uh, yeah. from only a handful of games, obviously, for the reasons you said, you know, <laughs> for, was it four or five years since the last game? Yeah. It feels like. <laughs> um, it's, I'm itching to get back and, and see how he does and see how the team does. Um, uh, yeah, with Deserby in charge it's going to be an interesting place to start that journey and we've got Spurs at home the week after so some tough games probably games that you could say are the, the proverbial free, free hits because you wouldn't expect results against the big sides but then again we've done quite well against the big sides including yourselves at Anfield actually we've obviously we had our results in lockdown 1-0 and we've had the interesting 2 draw last season so who knows, what, what are you thinking about the game this weekend?
1: I think uh, so on those games I think there's listen I want to be really clear um last season the the game at Anfield I thought the the second half performance from Brighton was excellent I think Liverpool were not good in that second half I think that they they, they, they dropped off but there was there was, it was one of the games which is at the biggest 60-second swing I've ever seen. Mane makes it 3-0, but VAR gives it offside. And then Mwepu, um, I think it was, has the shot into the sun that the keeper loses. It's just a, he's, just, he's just having a slash at it and the keeper loses. He's 25 yards out. The keeper loses it in the sky and suddenly it's 2-1 Brighton and the whole game you know, turns on its head. It could have been 3-0 Liverpool. Uh, I know that sounds ever so slightly back like sour grapes, but it is also worth pointing out we lost the league title by a point <laughs> over the course of the season. So you remember <laughs> these things in that context but um, well, the second half performance from Brighton was, was was terrific you know I thought Trossard especially such clever movements that day what was interesting was then the game at the Amex uh, in February where I felt Liverpool turned up and did an astonishingly professional job against a side that you, you're always wary of in a number of different ways um, and for me you know that's the sort of job that Liverpool have been failing to do this season. And I actually think this is a really good watermark game for us, uh, in terms of whether or not we're, we're getting this season back on track. I, I don't want to sort of build the game too much as though it's, it's absolutely make or break for Liverpool in a couple of senses. But, you know, there's ways to beat a team like Brighton, um, where you do it with, not with a minimum of fuss, you've got to work ever so hard and you've got to be really clever, but where you find a way to control the game and then from there you go on and, and, and succeed across the course of the game. And those two games are good examples. You know, in game one, Liverpool even from a 2-0 position, manifestly failed to do that. And in the second game, the game at the Amex, from the point we were 1-0 up, you know, I never felt the game was in danger from a Liverpool point of view. I felt we had had matters in hand all the way from that point. Um, And... That sort of tells the story that that Liverpool side went on last season. You know, the Liverpool side in the second half of the season was a results gathering machine. The Liverpool side in the first half of the season was a was a bit more vulnerable and could have unlikely things happen. We ship three at Brentford, we ship three at West Ham around that period. We we concede two goals to Brighton from a two 0 position. So for me, you know, the key question, obviously, for, as a Liverpool supporter, but also in general, is what Liverpool turns up. Because I think if the Liverpool turns up that is capable of getting in front and controlling a football match, then great. But we've actually only been ahead, de facto, even though we've won two games. You know, Newcastle, we win with the last kick. We've only been ahead, really, in one game this season, which is the game at uh, home against Bournemouth, where we
2: score nine. Yeah, you were and, quite far ahead in that game, weren't
1: you? <laughs> yeah, we, got, we, we 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 went one, we went two after six minutes. And then, it you know, it was one of those games where, to be fair to Bournemouth, Listen, you know, it was one of those games where I think we scored two from a set piece, uh, they get they concede an own goal, um, you've got people banging in 20-25 yards and they're going in the top corner, you know, yeah, right. listen, yeah well, we, 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 it was the sort of game which we should win 4-0 and we accidentally scored nine, <laughs> <laughs> and then there's been other games where we haven't been able to, you know, we've, we've got a really poor record of going ahead, so... Even yeah. when we played all right in the end in some of these matches, you know there's a couple of, of shockers aside, but we just haven't scored the go ahead goal and and that that's going to be i think the the massive test for this one from a Liverpool point of view. I think if we can get ahead in the game and show that maturity, then I think we'll be okay, but there's every chance you know we'll we don't want to get stuck in another morass of a game and also there's obviously a lot of quality in this Brighton side and there's a lot of nous in this Brighton side. And if, you know, I, I think they're the sort of side that if you give an inch to, they could take a mile. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm very much not, I'm really looking forward to the game, at least because we haven't seen anyone play for ages, <laughs> but um I'm simultaneously, you know, I don't think it's going to be a stroll for Liverpool and if they're not at it and they're not ready, then I think they could be punished.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it could well be the case. I mean, I think listening to one of your recent episodes, I think you were describing Ajax as the probably the best performance this season in terms of obviously taking into account opposition, I suppose, discounting the Bournemouth game. But in terms of closer expected games, it was, I think somebody said it was the best performance. And, and yet again, there you still had to really push to get the result in the end. And I think. This, this game could go any old now. We've, we've got no idea, we really. You've got a different manager. He, he might adopt different tactics later down the line from in this first game. The general notion is that he likes to uh, beat the high press, uh, the Geigen press, and play lots of very short, quick passes for the turnaround out into the attack. Um, obviously, Liverpool like to play with a high press. So if it worked, that could be bad news for you. But the reality is... Most of the players that we're going to have in the team or would want to have in the team starting on Saturday are going to be out on international duty. He hasn't really worked with them yet at all. Uh, Pretty much the exact timing of when he came in was when they were leaving. Um, And even if he has, you know, it's the first attempt under him to do that particular thing. We do a version of it already under Potter, but this is a little bit different probably. And to be the first team to come up against, I've got a lot of concern that we'll probably won't quite get it right as often as we would like to early on. And therefore, where the team does get open at the back sometimes, I think this might be one of those games. And Liverpool's not the best team in the world to leave yourself open at the back against, I have to say.
1: I think think the big thing for us is um, the returns of, of Thiago Alcantara and Diogo Jota. Both start against Ajax. And Jota for the first half, leads Liverpool's press brilliantly. It tends to be Jota who goes first. So Diaz does loads and loads of pressures on their keeper because they were playing around at the back. But in terms of when they get the ball sort of 20 yards up the pitch, when Jota goes, Liverpool go. And what we were happening in previous games at times was we were getting sucked in to pressing when we shouldn't be pressing um, and just sort of chasing everything, really, being a little uh, little bit headless so I think in this one the return of Jota you know he scored for playing for Portugal uh, in the in in the midweek as well and the other thing about Jota is that in the first half of last season or until about February he scores an awful lot of big goals goals that break games so he scores he outperforms his expected goals massively when Liverpool are drawing and when Liverpool are losing in matches uh, when Liverpool are winning in matches he's actually you know he doesn't get that many but he scores a lot of goals to make it 1-0 or make it 1-1 or make it 2-1 over the course of last season scores a lot of first half goals as well mm. and that's that's what we've been lacking you know i think that there's a lot of righteous indignation about performances but there's three ways to control a game and most teams manage to do them do do two of them at once the three mm. ways you control the game one is with the ball you can control a game without the ball but you control can control a game with the scoreboard and if you've got the scoreboard on your side whichever of the other two options you choose becomes easier mm. and liverpool this season have played with an with an awful lot of scoreboard pressure Every single game, bar that Bournemouth one, mm. and we and the Napoli one, if we're honest, because they battered us, has been a game that's gone for ninety minutes. Uh, you know, it's it's you know, United out players for the first for the first half an hour, but from then it's relatively even. But the issue is, we go two nil down, we get it back to two one, but the game's still alive. You know, last kick. If we if, if we goes our way, last kick, we make it two two. We haven't really had a game where you know we've been able to sort of not play in second gear, but feel as though we're in control of it. And and Jota might give us that. And then if we if we do get ahead, that's where the importance of someone like Tiago Alcantara especially comes in. And Tiago hasn't gone away on international duty, uh, which is good for his fitness and good for us looking after him. So mm-hmm. you know, I'd expect Tiago to start. I'd expect Jota to start. I wouldn't expect Darwin Nunez to start. I think he'll start the midweek game against Rangers. Uh, Liverpool will with Diaz and Salah, I suspect either side of Jota. And then from there, Thiago will start with, with, with Fabinho and one other in the middle of the park. Uh, and then I think at the back, it'll be um, it'll be Trent Alexander-Arnold at right back. Uh, again, doesn't play the second game for England, gets sent home early. Robertson, I suspect, will come back in. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if it was Shimmacast, but I think Robertson will come back in. And then I think it'll be Van Dijk and Matip and obviously Alisson Becker in goal. And back. that I think that's what Liverpool will go with. The question is, who's the third midfielder? And I think that a lot of that will come down to fitness as much as anything else.
2: Yeah, hopefully... Um, Not too much for our detriment, but I think the break you've had, I know some people have been on international duty, of course, but the break from action for Liverpool itself uh, may be a benefit possibly for you guys I guess yeah yeah,
1: we need to get some players back fit you know it was uh, Jota missed much of pre-season which I think has been an underrated loss there's been a lot of people saying that Liverpool is missing Mane but as I say before you know the first half of last season Jota was arguably you know Jota and Salah were our two most important uh, attackers up until January and then Mane came into his own in the second half of the season as Jota dropped off uh, but Jota was really important to us to the point that people were questioning Mane in the first half of last season and then from there you know we, so we needed to get Jota back we had Nune with the suspension in there as well. Matips had an injury. He's now come back into, into selection. Kanate is supposedly not too far away as well at the heart of that defence. Robertson's yeah. picked up a little bit of a knock, but we've had the international break to get him right. And across that midfield, Henderson's had an injury, Jones has had an injury, Oxlade Chamberlain is perpetually injured, Kite's injured, yeah. uh, Thiago's had the injury but he got the, the Ajax game back, which was good. Uh, Artur's has got trying to get himself up to up to fitness and up to speed. And there's been a lot of onus on Fabinho why actually thinks being run into the ground a little bit because he's had to play every game there's no option to rotate him so I think that you know the I think that the the break will have been good for us and it allows a bit of a reset but it also just allows footballers getting themselves back fit but then another phase of that though is even these lads who are coming back in how match fit are they but that's where maybe the five subs can help as well
2: yeah, and I, very quickly, because I know you've got to go in a second, Neil, but um, right. I, I was just going to leave with the question, what the hell's happened to Liverpool this season? Because obviously you had a bad start, you pretty much answered it, and I think a lot of what that is, is injuries, whether they'll be smaller or longer term, this disrupts the flow and the setup of the team, as, as it did a couple yeah. of years ago, wasn't it, when it made a big difference to your season, unfortunately for you?
1: Yeah, I think there's. I think injuries have played a part, but it's important to say I think that there's also, I think the manager's been through 2022. I think he's. It's not. He's not just starting it this season with the signing of Nunez, but I think he's been trying to transition the way Liverpool play to effectively get one more very attacking player on the pitch. So there was games last season where we were playing something pretty close to a four-two-four at times. So the third midfield are the one who plays to the right has been given a bit more leeway to effectively join that front line and become one more. And Elliot has sort of taken that mantle on this season since coming back from his injury, his bad injury he sustained last season. And he's a really exciting prospect, Elliot. But I think that's left Liverpool a little bit out of whack. So a lot of the criticism that Trent Alexander-Arnold gets, he's, he's really the, 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 the... Firstly, he's the most targeted player Liverpool have got. But the other thing is he's actually the least protected uh, player Liverpool have got because the left-hand side of midfielder sits a lot deeper. So it's called 4-3-3, but it doesn't work symmetrically. The left-hand side of midfielder tends to be a bit more of a number six style next to Fabinho. The right-hand side of midfielder has been pushed higher and higher and higher. uh, over And and Elliot is not Jordan Henderson. That that at times is a positive, but that at times is also a negative. So that's been ongoing. It's not just new to this season. I think that that's been there. But I think there's been something else as well, which is I think Liverpool... Firstly, have given opposition sides a little bit of encouragement, but I think there's also perhaps been a little bit of Liverpool feeling a teeny bit sorry for themselves off the back of the way in which last season finished. Or maybe just being a little bit exhausted. You know, last season we played every game and every game mattered in the end, you know, right up until the last, again, the same thing applied. We were only 1-0 down in the Champions League final and the league was in our hands until there was 15 minutes to go. And even then, you know, if, if you know, if, if essentially City had conceded an equaliser to Villa, we'd have been champions. So, mm-hmm. There's a thing we talk about, I think, towards the end of the seasons where we say footballers are on the beach and Liverpool's players have, lit, you know, Liverpool's most important players have not been able to be on the beach since 2016. Yeah. Even 2015, to be honest with you, you know, these are footballers who every single season have had every game matter. So even the season that we struggle and come third, we needed to go on a run at the end of the season where we, we out of the last 10 games, we won eight and drew two. We needed to win the last day to ensure we'd finish top four. So... Liverpool's players are just constantly, have been constantly under, basically playing under massive pressure. Um, And I think it's, I think there was elements at the start of the season where I think it just caught up with them. It was a curtailed pre-season. We did a Far East tour, which you do for commercial reasons, but that comes with risks. And I think that we've started the season a little bit undercooked. We've been a little bit unfortunate. We've been a little bit unfortunate with injuries. But simultaneously, there's no hiding places. You know, we're in the business of trying to break 90 points. So if you're asking me what that was, I think that there was just a, a bit of a hangover. Hopefully we'll be on that now. Hopefully, from our point of view, not yours, Saturday's part of that. Um, and hopefully, you know, for me, it's the season sort of starts here. And if we can put a run together, we've got City in a fortnight. You know, if we if when City come to Anfield, we can certainly ensure that we don't lose, but possibly even find a way to win that game. You know, the last few times we played City were unbeaten against them. Um so if we can find a way to win that game, then everything's still possible. But I think that the pressure has been on Liverpool a little bit. And I don't think I think for the first time really they've not really quite stood up and to be counted. I expect that to get fixed. I expect it to have been fixed. And hopefully from our point of view, I think we'll win on Saturday. And I actually if you offered me a crazy five two or a run-of-the-mill <laughs> 2-0, I'd take the run-of-the-mill 2-0. This side's just got to start winning normal games in a normal way. And with a bit of luck, that, from our point of view, that starts Saturday, but Brighton will be a really difficult opponent.
2: Yeah, it's a, it. you're likely to win it. and um, whatever happens, the bonus for us is will still be above you, at least for the <laughs> month. <laughs> Absolutely. It's not often we could say that really after a, no. a head of a head, head to head game, but uh, yeah, I think you'll probably win it. I'll go for a two one. Um, but I, I, I think it's going to be an interesting game. Very interesting.
1: Yep. Yeah. It's a shame it's Saturday three o'clock. It's, it really is one of those where Sky right now will be thinking, I yeah. wish this was on the telly.
2: Yeah, I bet they do. And I'm not going to be there. I'll be stag doing Newcastle. So <laughs> once again, I'm missing out on Liverpool, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> But we'll see how it goes. We'll, I'm, I'm no doubt, catch the game on that match of the day. And Neil, it's it's been a pleasure as always. And um, we'll let you get to your dinner. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thanks, Russ. See you later.
2: See You soon. Cheers, mate. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. So thanks there to Neil Atkinson for joining us for the Liverpool Preview in part two. Also thanks again to Andy Bass and to Phil Shelley for our part one chat about old football shirts and Roberto Deserby. Part three, then, is the final bit. Just me going alone with a few other bits to talk about. Firstly, and foremostly, we've got to talk about managerial sacking. So there's been quite a few recently, as well as Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank quitting or leaving by mutual consent. We've also had Steve Morrison sack from Cardiff. Not really given much time there. We've had the um, older manager, John Sheridan. His Cheser action didn't quite work. They did get relegated. He started the season with them... A little bit ropally, they've got rid of him, uh, and they've got a new manager in, which is David Unsworth. Uh, interestingly, he's dropping down a few divisions to start his uh, full-on coaching career. But there's been one other sacking that's just happened. The Watford manager Rob Edwards has been sacked after just ten games in charge. Now there was a bit of animosity when Forest Green Rovers lost him. They got promoted, League Two. They were full of confidence that they can have another good season with him, Um, stabilising, maybe doing well in League One under his uh, tenure, but he quit, Um, approached in rather ropey-sounding conditions, which is to say that Dale Vince, the Forest Green chairman and owner, implied that um, there was a bit of an illegal approach, possibly, on the cards there. Anyway, he did move to Watford. He was assured of time. The Watford fans were desperate for a more stable environment for future managers to work in uh, starting with this appointment and they were assured as such because in a statement made by the chairman and chief executive of Watford Mr Scott Duxbury Esquire he made this statement after the appointment of Rob Edwards this was on the 9th of June I think it was he said, Watford Football Club needed its culture back. And Robert Edwards, we have appointed a manager who we all totally believe in and a manager who will lead us and drive that change. We will be supporting Rob Edwards come hell or high water. Well, I wonder if hell or high water has been reached yet. I would imagine not so after 10 games. How the hell can a manager be expected to create his imprint on a team to get his philosophy put over and to get that team playing effectively within that philosophy after only 10 games. This is a team, don't forget, that's just got relegated and lost some of its best squad men, who are now being expected to adapt to new conditions while having suffered the psychological blow of a relegation. Let's not underestimate that as well. I know some clubs can bounce back better than others, but ultimately it's not easy to do. Yet they've had to do that and they've only had 10 games and he's been sacked Watford, it is a pathetic club, really, in terms of the way it's been run. They've had a degree of success, which is almost pretty annoying, actually, that they've had some promotions, given the way they get through their managers. I don't like to see clubs run that way. I'm sure most Watford fans, if not all Watford fans, feel the same. There's not much they can do about it, and I do feel sorry for them having to endure this time and time again. A bright, young English manager with prospects, making a, a leap, even with his promotion, it's a jump of another division, uh, to go into the Championship with Watford, and he's not been given a fair crack of the whip. He may well have been doing a good job. When all said and done, even though they maybe weren't impressed with the way they were playing and some of the results, they were, after all, only one point behind the playoffs and only six points off the autos, which at this early stage of the season, is still nothing, nothing at all to worry about. Yet, so it's far too early for that decision to be made. There's been far too many managerial changes at such an early stage this season, notwithstanding those that have stepped up to other roles, such as Graham Potter at Chelsea and Paul Warne, who um, has left Rotherham, along with Richie the Bear Barker, former Albion cult hero. Uh, under Mickey Adams. Um, They've moved after a six-year stint with Rotherham to take up the job at Derby after Liam Rossenia was relieved of his interim duties. Um, They've given it a good run, really. They've been good for each other. They've been loyal to Rotherham. Rotherham have been loyal to them. They've had ups, they've had downs, literal ups and downs, promotions and relegations. Six seasons. It's never dull following them. It's never dull (laughs) supporting them. But... Ultimately, you yeah, know, he's served his dues. It's his first managerial job. He stuck at it for six years, was given the chance to grow into the role. He's done well. They've been good for each other, and he's moved on. So good luck to Paul Warren. Good luck to Richie Barker. I think that's a respectful amount of time uh, to spend with a club before moving on. Oh, are you listening, Mr Potter? Anyway, that's that. Uh, speaking of Liam Rossenia, uh as I was about to record this, he was still employed by the club. Um, he was just relieved of the interim managerial duties as such. But he's now been relieved of his... uh, Well, he's left the club, basically. He's decided to move on. Um, I think what he does next will be interesting. Could there be a role for him back at the Albion? It's possible, but unlikely, because I think there may not really be room to fit him in, uh, depending on what Roberto de Zerbi's plans are exactly, and whether he would be inclined to come back to us in a, a backroom role anyway. More likely, and probably justifiably, he could go for a coaching role, a head coaching role, or manager role in the EFL I would say at a club of equivalent stature to Derby perhaps maybe a club in the championship even might give him a go but unfortunately um, we'll have to wait to find out what happens on that one but the best of luck to Liam he's a good guy I've met him before really nice guy very intelligent and thoughtful on the game and I think he's got a bright future but uh, he has left Derby now and the final points from me, really, and it's going back to a rant. We've ranted about it before. I'm going to rant about it again. Racism in football It's reared its ugly head even more in recent weeks. We've had the Atletico Madrid incident. For anyone that doesn't know, uh, Real Mallorca. We're giving a lot of stick to uh, Vinicius Junior, the Brazilian international, uh, who plays Real Madrid. And... Um, He was doing some dances in celebration. There was accusations he was over the top, maybe baiting fans and so on. And things were getting a bit uh, acrimonious. Anyway, that is what it is. Then it comes to Atletico Madrid, play Real Madrid in the Madrid Derby just a couple of weeks ago. And fans were being abusive before the game, outside the stadium, singing uh, derisory songs and making reference to monkeys. Now, this is to do with a turn of phrase in Spain... Talking about dancing like a monkey just means dancing like a fool, something along those lines. It doesn't have any particular offensive connotations. But somebody who should know better in the Spanish media um, attached that phrase to Vinicius Junior, which has the dangerous implication of potential overtones, undertones of something else. And that didn't help. What has then happened is that's been escalated. It's been continued on by Atletico Madrid fans who... Play that up in blatant racism with songs. Um, somebody had a monkey hand puppet, would you believe, with, an, uh, with a Real Madrid scarf around it. Um, disgusting behaviour. And this has been followed up just in the last day or so by the latest international match for Brazil. Again, a Brazilian player abused. Um, essentially, it's Richarlison, formerly of Everton, now Spurs, who was abused by having a banana thrown at him. How very 1970s. Um, This was thrown by a supporter at a game taking place in Paris between Tunisia and Brazil. It is unclear at this stage who the supporter is, both in terms of his particular identity but also his nationality. Was he a Tunisian fan? Was he just a local Parisian. Who knows? But either way round, it really, really is a disgrace. The Brazilian FA have come out in damning condemnation of it and they are complaining about it, and justifiably so. As, of course, are um, Real Madrid about the Atletico incident. Two really unsavoury scenarios. There have been other minor incidents occurring elsewhere as well in the last few weeks. This really isn't going away yet, is it? Let's hope it does soon. Let's hope something is done soon, because it's just as blatant as it has been over the last year or two, and it's not getting any better. Anyway, on that sour note, we probably will need to wrap up, but thank you again for joining us. Next up will be a review of the Liverpool game, possibly one or two other new guests coming on, Uh, so stay tuned for that. That will be our next one, and let's hope we can manage to pull off a result on Roberto's debut for the club up at Anfield on Saturday. Until next time, stand or fall up the Albion